Hello and welcome to LedgerCast. My name is Brian Krogsgaard. Before we get to the main show, I just want to say thank you to a brand new partner who's coming on board with all things that I'm doing at Ledger Status and LedgerCast. Go to LedgerStatus.com and and see everything that we're doing. In addition to the podcast, you may subscribe on YouTube where I'm putting out videos, looking to put out more. Uh, They're part of all of it. And I want to say... Thank you and welcome to Brave New Coin as a, a new partner for all things Ledger Status. Go to bravenewcoin.com to learn more about them. You should already know them a little bit uh, because the frequent co-host that I have on this show with me is Josh Olsewich. He writes there. He writes there several times a week uh, with some of the best technical analysis and fundamental analysis in the ecosystem. They've got other great writers that are talking about the markets. They have a daily email that's fantastic uh, that you really should subscribe to. They have a lot of products, like data products, like their exchange feed, uh, which provides real-time crypto data from 240 exchanges. That's really fantastic. My favorite ticker on TradingView is the BLX, which is the historical uh, record of price uh, for Bitcoin that's updated daily, and it just shows me everything at a glance. It's fantastic. They've got more of those liquid indexes uh, as well. The Ethereum one just came out and more on the way. Uh, they're a fantastic partner. It aligns really well with what I'm trying to do uh, with Ledger Status, and I'm so thankful that they are stepping up to support the site and support the podcast and, and to be a partner with me. Go to bravenewcoin.com to check them out. Be sure to subscribe to their uh, daily newsletter, and uh, yeah, tell them thanks. I mean, because I'm 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 thankful, and uh, this helps me put out more quality content on a regular basis. So I'm really pleased to welcome them as a partner. We'll be talking about some of the stuff that they've got going on over time. And uh, yeah, with that, let's get to the main show. But thank you so much to Brave New Coin. Hello and welcome to LedgerCast. My name is Brian Krogsgaard, and today uh, I'm with somebody who's trying to build a product or has built a product and is uh, serving an audience that a lot of the people in the crypto ecosystem aren't accustomed to. And we want to learn about who they're serving, why they're serving this audience, why they're approaching the market and trading in this way. I've got Edward Woodford from SeedCX, and SeedCX is a uh, institutionally focused trading platform. Hey, Edward. Hi. Good to, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to see you and appreciate you coming on. Um, so you guys have built an exchange and I've heard a lot of good things about this exchange. I first heard from you around the time y'all launched when you were on Anthony Cradell's Futures Radio Show. Seems like you've got relationships with uh, a lot of legacy uh, market participants, whether that's the people that are trading that you're seeking relationships with now to bring on your platform, whether it's regulators. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems like you've got, you know, kind of stuff buttoned up and you had a plan going into this and, and y'all are trying to approach things on the straight and narrow. Is that the basic introduction to how you would separate yourself from what we know of in the, in the crypto space? Yeah, I, I suppose we are firstly institutionally focused. Um, and yes, we've taken a, a, an approach to be um, very regulatory compliant, and we now have um, you know the complete patchwork um, of regulation that exists in the United States that just kind of overlays um, each other. And you know, this week we were approved for two bit licenses um, by 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 New York, which is obviously um, probably one, one of the most well known regulatory licenses um, that um, digital asset firms can get in the space. Yeah, congratulations. That's a real pain. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure that was a, a nice win. 
So yeah. you say t two different bit licenses. Is that for two different products of yours or two different variants? What was the structure there? Yeah, so the reason that we have two bit licenses um, is because as an entity, um, or as a, as a company, we basically have split out or bifurcated match of a trade versus assessment of the trade. And what that means is the match is um, basically me and you agreeing on a price and the assessment is then either the ledger in um, or the actual movements on chain and the wires um, that the, or that the movement of fiat currencies. And so we bifurcated those two pieces. Um, New York is unique in the sense of that it regulates both settlement as well as matching. Most states only regulate or actually all other states actually only regulate the um, transmission of money, which is the settlement piece. Hmm. And so thus, we have two main entities um, that were approved. We have Seed Digital Commodities Market, which is the spot market. Um, and then we have ZeroHash, which is the settlement entity. ZeroHash is now regulated in 35 states as a money transmitter. Um, and zero, and the, the exchange is only regulated in New York. So New York is pretty special in that way. Okay. So um, you you bring up the, the two things. Uh, and y'all do have a bit of a hybrid model for your exchange. Uh, I listened to some other interviews that you did, and you talked about how you have a, uh, a trade engine that is fully centralized, your platform, and then are, you're settling to each customer's wallets as those trades are closing out, right? Yeah, so the way that it works is, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. During a trading session, um, all trading occurs off-chain. Um, and yes, the, the, the matching engine is, is centralized. We actually have physical infrastructure, which is pretty unique in this space. Most exchanges are just purely in the cloud. Um, and what, the way that our settlement infrastructure works is actually that each client has their own dedicated wallet. And during the trading session, trading occurs off-chain. At the end of the trading session, um, those positions are netted out. Um, and then there's an on-chain transaction of the net movements. So say me and you were trading against each other, and I bought 10 from you. Um, and then I sold eight back during the, the trading session, there would then be an on-chain movement of two. Um, mm -hmm. So it's basically this hybrid model between centralization and decentralization. We think there's a lot of benefits here. Um, the benefits of centralization it, it are um, the fact that you can essentially settle more quickly. Um, but obviously the benefits of decentralization is the fact that each client can actually have their own wallet and they can actually see on-chain what they actually own. And it gives greater credibility um, and reliability um, for certain institutions that need to prove ownership to say auditors. Um, so we're seeing that we're kind of in the middle. You're still managing custody of those funds, but they are in the individual's wallet? Yes, yeah, so we do hold the private keys of those wallets, um, but each wallet is per, per participant on our exchange. Okay. Uh, you talk about a trading session. How are y'all defining trading sessions? This seems to be one of the key differentiators and issues with like say a CME. So uh, are y'all 24 seven or are you operating on market hours? Yeah, we're open around the clock, but we do have a settlement timeline uh, or settlement window um, that begins at 4 p.m. Central time. And so at that point, we then net up positions and then there's an on-chain transaction and then we then reopen the market back up. Okay, so you open it back up uh, within minutes or something. So the goal is to get to minutes right now uh, where actually the settlement window is about, is, is about two hours, um, but the goal is to move that back down to uh, minutes, and then you know over time, um, even a minute. Okay, so you have a settlement period. Uh, yep. 
up to two hours and that's daily. But then yep. the market is open for people to trade, match orders, do everything 24 hours a day. Correct. So this is something that has become a, a market event worth paying attention to mm-hmm. in, in crypto trading because you have uh, more and more volume on some of the legacy futures platforms that are only available during mm-hmm. traditional market hours. And yeah. then you have, I don't know, 80 90% of volume that's not on those platforms. So there always seems to be something happening around the close of the market when CM, CME is done for the uh, for the week and they have this weekend gap. Um, yep. Is that an ad- advantage that y'all are seeking to exploit to say, hey, look, you can trade here seven days a week? Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is a 24-hour um, market. Um, and I think... You know that is one of the advantages that we, that we have. Um, it's been open around the clock for for institutions. Um, you know, obviously there are things that are difficult. Um, for example, banks are closed, um, but that's one of the benefits of, for example, stable coins. And the way that our system works is that it will recognize a stable coin one to one in our system as if it were a U.S. dollar. And so people can fund their positions. They can um, increase their trading power, even when the banks are closed. Also, we have um, what we call um, cross-collateralized margin. So what that means is is that, say, for example, you want to buy ETH, but you're particularly BTC rich. Um, The way that our margin system will work is that you can actually post BTC. It will convert it into a um, USD value uh, with the haircut. Um, And then it will allow you to trade um, ETH. So it's more capital efficient, despite the fact that, obviously, if you're despite the fact that the banking uh, in, uh, network um, is not available 24-7. I also saw in the About video on your website that um, customers can collateralize with other fiat currencies too, like they can collateralize with yen or something like that, right? Correct. We can, we can actually collateralize with 19 different types of um, fiat currencies, which is very, very unique. Um, right now, we only offer USD trading, but over the next quarter, we're going to be expanding out to um, Japanese yen, um, euro, and GBP um, traded. That's for the trading pairs themselves, not just collateral. Correct. Right now, collateral 100% you can do today, um, but actually an underlying pair um, we are introducing um, this this quarter. Additional I want to group. dig into your trading experience in just a minute, but first, I'd like to get clarification for some people that are uh, listening or watching the listening to this or watching it. Uh, you say. One of the challenges would be banks aren't open. Um, a lot of exchanges in the crypto space, they don't require any form of, you know, there's no margin call. You just are, you know, you're, you're relieved from your assets and you don't have the option of uh, funding your account with additional assets to, to help fund a position. Um, why, <laughs> what are the challenges with that? Uh, why did y'all not go that route? Um, or is it a regulatory issue? What's uh, how do you approach that? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. I, I read a report this morning that, um, for example, BitMEX um, it makes fifty percent of its revenue from uh, liquidations. Um, so you know, it's obviously a, bit, a big revenue driver. But ultimately, what you're doing is um, you're liquidating somebody um, if there's a, a downward movement again or a, a movement against them. Um, so to give one example, say that um, you have a position on for $10,000, um, you may be liquidated, say, if the price of Bitcoin moves to, say, 9900 
Um, but then it moves back up to say 20,000. Um, right. So by auto-liquidating you without the ability to actually fund the position, um, what you're actually doing is um, recognizing a loss um, and actually preventing them from actually potentially um, gaining from an up from, from the upside in in that in that um, example, for example. Um, so the way that our system works is yes, you can fund positions. Um, we have a risk and operations team that is communicating with clients on a regular basis. I mean, one of the fundamental points is that we um, use a statistical model um, to actually define margin. Um, so firstly, the likelihood of actually needing to fund additional capital is relatively low. But if you were to go near it, um, at that point, we'd obviously engage with you. Um, but we, we do have the power uh, to, 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 to take positions um, if a client does not fund the position. But I think it's important to give clients the ability um, to actually fund. And it's just a difference. Firstly, it's, we're not allowing for 100x margin. And secondly, uh, we think it's important that a client actually has the ability to not recognize a loss if they are in a position to actually fund with additional capital. And so you have about 3.3x uh, margin. So if I um, if I put on you know $10 million into your system, I can trade with roughly $30 million worth of uh, funds, right? Yeah. Um, so that's very roughly how it works. Um, it really depends. It depends on the product. Um, also, during periods of high volatility, our margin model will show um, slight that you can be less leveraged. Um, so the technical term is a VAR model. Um, so we use that um, to dictate um, margin requirements, and then we have a margin floor. But yes, in simple terms, uh, 3.3x on Bitcoin. Um, so $10 million gives you, um, you know, as you said, uh, over $30 million in trading power. Mm -hmm. Is that how y'all operate it? Is in terms of your overall trading power, not not like some kind of per position situation? So the way that it works is um, you you get that you get that trading power, but then obviously if you take position and, and you're losing um, and you, you've got it's going to be a dynamic reduction of your yes, future trading it's power. A dynamic margin and model um, that yeah. is um, real time. So let's talk about who your customers are because uh, you go after institutions. That's almost a meme word in the you know retail crypto landscape. They say the institutions are coming. I want to mm -hmm. talk about uh, whether you're seeing evidence of that. Why? I mean, you must be if that's where you're investing your your money and recruiting and uh, who you're aiming for. Also, I presume uh, accredited investors that aren't necessarily like an institutional investor, but they're you know they they meet the criteria in the United States as accredited investors to open them up to trading certain types of financial products that you're offering. Uh, where are you seeing upticks in terms of what type of customers you get? Is it more people with money that want access to the additional benefits that you offer from a peace of mind perspective, or mm -hmm. is it family offices and hedge funds and prop shops? Where are you seeing an uptick the most? So obviously I would say firstly that the institutions are here. Um, and it's just the type of institution that, that, that you're referring to. So hmm. I think that what we're seeing in cryptocurrencies is um, an adoption cycle that um, makes a lot of sense and it's just compressed from other asset classes. Um, a prop shop is a group that essentially does, it manages um, the partner's own money. So it has greater flexibility than say a pension fund 
that has a lot of restrictions. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've seen this adoption whereby prop shops were really the biggest players to enter the space, family offices as well, because of this kind of concept of the fiduciary responsibility, which is basically the ability to, or the, own, the management of other people's money, um, which you have to be, it brings on additional burdens. So it's natural that prop shops, family offices, and then certain hedge funds will move into the space first. But I think what you're starting to see is more and more traditional um, groups that enter the space. You know, we've, we've had news of Fidelity um, entering the space. And I, I think the reality is, if you look at the breakdown of where trading is occurring today, and you look at the reports of how much of it is on exchange versus off exchange. Um, off exchange trading is not retail, it's institutional, right? It's groups doing OTC trading. So the rough numbers that have come out is that 75% of volume is off exchange. So that must mm. mean that over 75% of volume is at least institutional. So I would argue that institutions are here. Um, more institutions are coming, um, but you know it, we're following this very natural progression, partly because of the evolution and the ability to um, make decisions to enter what has traditionally been seen as a more risky asset class, not only from a operational perspective, but also from a price perspective. With those volume uh, analysis numbers that you said was 75% off exchange, does that include or exclude uh, BitMEX and Deribit and some of the places that are not spot exchanges, but they're where an enormous percentage of overall volume that you see on like a, you know, a trading volume website where yeah. that shows up? So what I'm referring to is a report that was put up by a group called the TAP Group, um, which is a pretty well-known um, group. Um, comes from traditional markets. Uh, they did a lot of analysis. Um, so I, I'm not exactly on the in the weeds of how exactly they, they calculated uh, and what they included and excluded. Obviously, you could also make the, the countervailing argument that a lot of on-exchange volume is also um, to some degree fake. <laughs> Crap. Um, so <laughs> yeah. potentially, you know, potentially... Um, it, it all balanced itself out. But I think that when, you, when you're really in the space, um, a lot of groups are very involved in the OTC space. When you talk to clients about where, um, where they're trading, um, you know, I think people have both exchange relationships as well as OTC relationships. Um, so I, 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 just the fact, even if OTC is 50% or 40%, um, the institutions are, 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 I think, in the majority at this point. Yeah, you had mentioned a... Uh... A number around 200 million in trading volume on a daily basis with my Brilliant. friends at uh crypto street at the crypto street podcast yeah. and um the bitwise report that came out about like real volume exchanges and there's basically 10 that yep. are real volume exchanges that kind of make up roughly that number um mm -hmm. i mean is there an elephant in the room here where people potentially your clients but also of course retail as well where they're saying, look, uh, okay, maybe there's 200 million on all these spot exchanges. There's, um, you know, Seed, I would say, it, to me, it feels like a, uh, currently a boutique platform for people that are really interested in their own operational security, management of their funds, regulatory compliance. But a lot of people have to be making decisions like, well, we do, do we want to take some of those risks, but then go on a place like BitMEX or some of the other uh, other places where there's tons of volume, but we know some of the risks that we're getting into, or do you think these are two different complete sets of customers and the type of people that'll say, I'll go trade on BitMEX and the type of people that say, I want to trade on CME or Seed or somewhere like that, uh, they would never even think about trading on a place like BitMEX. I, I think there's definitely some overlap. And I think there's, you know, in terms of a Venn diagram, there's definitely a, a 
right now there's probably a high degree of overlap. I, I think when you're talking about where institutions will deploy capital, um, it will be at institutions that are regulated, um, are offering operational security, are operation, uh, providing better technical controls, are providing better APIs, um, are offering credible margin that gives them the ability to fund in, the, in, in that instance. Um, so I think there is, there is definitely an overlap um, and clients take different amounts of risk. Very often in kind of traditional markets, people think about a sharp ratio, which is essentially a risk-adjusted return. Um, I like to think of risk-adjusted returns in crypto with operational risk. So I think when, what happened, um, particularly during um, the crypto winter, which now seems so far, um, far ago, um, what happened there is that people started to really take operational risk into account, even groups that were previously very willing to take operational risk. Because if you are trading and you're making very high returns, it is illogical potentially to take very high risks, um, both on, a, on the type of assets that you're investing in, but also on the operational risk. When those returns come down, um, on a risk-adjusted perspective, it doesn't necessarily make so much sense to trade on super risky platforms operationally. So those, that's where I'm talking about clients that are already, have already been in the crypto space for many, many years. Um, I think that's where they start to become very interested in, in, in CDCX, as well as the fact that we offer you know, fiat accessibility, um, you know, margin, better trip technology. A lot of these groups have experienced the pain points, and so they know what you're referring to. And then there's obviously the next wave of, of cryptocurrency traders where it's much more binary choice. I will only trade on a platform whereby they are regulated they are providing certain controls. And, and, you know, a lot of people talk about regulation, regulation um, as being a sufficient condition for success for a lot of these platforms. I, I don't think that's the case. I think regulation is the baseline that is needed for certain platforms to even, for, for certain groups to look at you. But there's so much more nuance in terms of getting a more sophisticated institutional platform or group to actually, to actually trade on you beyond just regulation. And we're potentially starting to see some of these stories come home to roost because I mean, maybe one of the things that's enabling or giving people the courage to go out and trade in the Wild West is there hasn't been a lot of regulatory enforcement in the space, at least from the United States, in terms of really cracking down. We're just seeing today the CFTC is uh, uh, investigating BitMEX. We have no idea what that means, but like some of the questions are like, well, we are curious if uh if they know that they're catering to an american audience and it's like of course they know um that at times they've made their platform highly available to americans um so maybe we're seeing some of that stuff come to roost your play seems to be the the long play um you know like you could have approached this and said you know we're gonna we're gonna uh incorporate in the caribbean or you know someplace where we feel less reachable um mm -hmm. And we're going to open up to anybody with an email address that wants to sign up. You're you're doing this very differently. Um, so let's say, okay, now you've got people on the platform. They're looking for a high quality trading experience. This is the part that if I go to your website, I can't like go take a peek at the exchange. I have to be a customer. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the trading platform look like? What's uh, you're offering multiple coins? Like it's not just Bitcoin, right? No, no, no. So we offer Bitcoin, Litecoin, BCH, and ETH. Um, this quarter, we're also going to be offering um, Stellar, um, and we also have three stable coins: um, USDC, um, True USD, as well as Paxos. Um, so yes, I mean it's, it's a slightly different approach, but I, I think what 
I think your point about um, enforcement is an interesting one. Um, and I would say that it's not necessarily in the long term. I, I think we're starting to see changes occur, um, you know, even today, um, yeah. given your example. And I think what's interesting there is that you're going to start to see more enforcement. I mean, just think of it from a regulator's perspective. You have the president of the United States on stage saying that potentially cryptocurrencies in some instances are one of the most dangerous things for the country. Yeah. Um, that, that has an effect. That, yeah. that changes people's perceptions. That emboldens people. It looks like it's a priority of the government. Um, and that changes things. But also I think what people don't realize is that um, the reach of regulators is far. If you manipulate an exchange that is based in the United States, um, that is a federal crime. Whether or not that platform is regulated or not, um, it's a felony. Um, and you know, there's been time and time again where US regulators have claimed jurisdiction from people who have been abroad, who have somehow interacted with the US. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's on a US exchange, maybe that they've interacted with the US banking system. Um, so the reality is, is that I think that, that the argument was probably maybe somewhat um, you want to put something over your ears and be like, look, we're, we're, we're good. I think what's coming to the fore now is that you're not good um, and that um, regulators will retroactively look at what's being done. And so um, I, think, I think it's going to be a very interesting six months from an enforcement action perspective. And I think as a regulator platform, our view is, um, look, do we think all regulation is perfect? No. Um, do we think that things could be improved? Yes. All we ask for is that the rules are enforced in a fair and equitable way. That is all we ask for. Um, and so when enforcement actions occur, provided that they are um, non-discriminatory uh, and fair and balanced, then that's only a good thing for the industry. Um, because if, this, if, if the space is to evolve, um, you know, bad actors, manipulating prices does harm people. It harms retail investors. I mean, it, it harms a lot of people. Um, you know, it may sound funny uh, uh, in these pieces and people, talk, and you know, even this week, we had Coindesk interviewing somebody who went on the record as <laughs> yeah. saying that they would be paid to, 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 to do it. And I've gone on the record before and said that I get approached at least weekly from people who try to um, say, look, if you pay us, we'll do it. So a lot of the time it's the platforms themselves. Um, but what that does when you actually think about what it's doing, it's manipulating the price of something. And we've spoken about liquidations as well. So what that means is people are losing huge amounts of money and they may manipulate the price for seconds or even for hours. But if you've got this liquidation concept in as well, which we've already spoken about, it really harms people. You lose, people have lost a lot of money um, because of manipulation. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we did a whole... Uh, probably half an episode talking about back when someone clearly uh, purposefully dumped market dumped on Bitstamp, and mm -hmm. it seemed their purpose was uh, seemed obviously to manipulate uh, a cascade on BitMEX to force mm -hmm. liquidations and make a deeper wick on BitMEX where they can play it both ways. They can get short on BitMEX, market dump on Bitstamp. Uh, close into all those liquidations on BitMEX and probably get long on the other side and uh, win at least twice over with a significant amount more leverage on BitMEX than the value of uh, any lost value from market dumping on Bitstamp. And it was pretty clear and obvious. And they only had a two exchange uh, blend of what was yep. making up the BitMEX price. Yeah, I mean, that's why when you look at, for example, the CME, um, if you actually look at that underlying composite index, 
what the regulator actually forces them to do is actually have information agreements to prevent exactly that, 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 that thing. So if there's suspicious activity on two very distinct platforms, um, the two platforms will share information. So mm. although it looks very obvious, you know, obviously Bitstamp and, and BitMEX, those groups aren't necessarily talking. Um, and, you know, maybe they're not interested in it, potentially in, 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 in talking. But if you look at the way that um, the regulated markets work, um, in exactly that piece, um, exactly that example, um, would be greater clarity in terms of what actually happens. So if it was one group um, doing exactly as you described, it'd be very, very um, obvious and clear and be, and be found out. Yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, uh, one other note, just because I think you're right. I think that we are in for a reckoning. Um, I don't think it was any coincidence. I'm curious your take for Binance finally saying, okay, U.S. customers aren't allowed here anymore. We've got this BAM thing, Binance America, whatever it's going to be. And I don't know. They seem to be walking into that like that'll be fine. Like U.S. regulators will be totally fine with uh, Binance just walking in and offering a, you know, American regulator-friendly exchange there, except for the fact that they made it completely open, simple, no barriers at all to trade on Binance, where they were trading securities, their own token, which they use to run their company, is likely a security. And I don't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like it's going to be an easy road for them. To me, do you think they're being naive in that, uh, in in that ambition? Look, I mean, when at this point we're regulated by over fifty different regulatory bodies, um, both federal <laughs> and state. Um, a lot of a lot of what it is with regulators, it is establishing trust. It is establishing the sense that, you know, regulators come in and they do audits. But the day-to-day -day piece is there has to be a high degree of trust. And so, you know, if you have a reputation, um, I think it may not be impossible, but it will be substantially harder. And the regulators will look very, very closely about, you know, a lot of regulators have a concept of um, good fit um, around people. Uh, so, for example, myself, I've been background checked extensively, um, you know, very personal information um, given up to regulators, fingerprints. And the reason they do that is to basically ensure that you are somebody that is, to some degree, um, biometric, reputable. Um, and, and, you know, um, a regulator may say, look, this is not a reputable group. And that's it. Um, they don't, they're not obligated to provide um, licensing. Um, so... Look, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about the digital asset space. It changes all the time. Regulators come in overnight, and, it, and, it, and you know, this enforcement action will definitely change the way that people look at this space. Um, and you know, you know, a lot of the kind of VC, you know, the, the kind of startup mentality is ask for forgiveness later. When the financial services space is a little bit different, um, let's see if, if forgiveness will be given, and at what cost forgiveness is given, if at all. Yeah, and I'm probably I'm showing my hand a bit here, but I mean to me it seems obvious that uh, Binance themselves have concerns because I mean CZ doesn't even seem willing to step in the United States because it's just too much of a risk. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, yeah I mean, if you look at if you look at what's happening from offshore exchanges and you look deeply at or very closely at their um, terms of service changes that have been made recently. Um, look, every, everybody talks in this industry. Everybody knows you know before before things happen. Um, you know, to, you know what's happening. Yeah. I don't think it is a coincidence um, that. But to, to, to your point, I mean, it doesn't necessarily change what's happened in the past. Um, yeah. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah. All right. So uh, 
at, let's say there's 200 million in like uh, more, you know, legitimate volume, the type of places where an American institution might be willing to trade. What percentage of that volume are you guys capturing today? Uh, are you in single digit millions or what's what's your volume look like? Yeah. So we project the market being 200 billion. Um, I'm day. sorry. I keep saying million, and I mean yeah, I mean sorry, billion. You're, 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 I'm the one bigger, making the number bigger, which is very often not what I do. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, so we we estimate the market today is around 200 billion, and that's a function of you know what I spoke about before this tab research that suggested that the OTC market was significantly larger, and then you know looking at the volumes and adjusting very roughly um, for for so-called fake fake trading. Um, so today, what is live is um, our spot market. Um, we now offer some of the best execution globally um, for BTC, ETH, BCH, and Litecoin. Um, we now have uh, close to 150 customers, um, institutional customers, and um, we're now doing several million dollars a day on a consistent basis. Um, and obviously, our goal is to go out and obviously um, increase that. And I think we've got a very clear path to do that. Obviously, increase the number of fiat underlying pairs that we have on our platform, um, as well as obviously institutions take a little bit longer than retail to actually get live. Um, it's not just as simple as points and clicking. Um, some, some, you know, a lot of institutions um, want to get technically integrated back office API. So it takes a little bit longer to actually get clients live as well. Um, so with those two pieces combined, we think we've got a very clear growth, growth path on the spot, spot exchange. And we're also excited to launch our um, swap execution facility, which is derivatives. And the contracts that we'll be launching um, subject to um, regulatory approval, um, and we think we're very close, um, is um, a physically settled forward contract. And it will have the near four weeklies and then the near three months. Um, okay. And so it will be a physically settled contract as opposed to a cash settled contract that exists, for example, on the CME. Uh a lot of people are going to hear 150 customers. That sounds like nothing. But you go to Coinbase, they have whatever it is now, 20 million customers, and you know some tiny fraction of one percent are trading. Uh, is your average customer a, an active participant on the platform on a weekly basis? Uh, so yeah, the the answer is yes. I mean, it's it is when we're talking about institutions, it's a little bit different. So um, you know, in the FX space, for example, there's platforms out there that are doing 50 billion dollars a day. Um, mm -hmm. with 25 customers. So it's our focus is on, you know, um, larger customers, active customers, um, and a diverse mix of customers. You don't just want one set of customer on your platform because groups rely on different, on different pieces. So yes, I mean, it's a slightly different focus, but what that does also mean is that um, because we're not retail orientated, um, each one of our clients actually gets a much higher level of support. We have 24 hour uh, phone call support. Um, you know, every single client um, has a dedicated account manager that they can call, um, that they can get additional services for. We're much more reactive in terms of what we build. We're building just purely for this different mindset, which allows us to focus on the features that really matter to this type of customer. Uh, you said it's uh, you're you've got a, a quality execution globally. Um, are you? How is your book being managed? How is your uh, you know, if you have a big customer, they want to come in and they might want to execute an order for, I don't know, you know, 50 million bucks or something. Like, how do you handle an yep. order like that? Yeah. So firstly, we, we don't trade against our customers. So we, we don't market make um, as a platform. Um, 
So our markets are made by um, a combination of groups globally that are, that are market makers. Um, that host and they're choosing independently to come in. It's not. Uh, no, so the, the, they're there because they, they think that they can make money um, by, by making markets. Um, so we don't market make against our clients. Um, so look, if somebody wants to do 50 million bucks, it's, it's probably a, a little high. But by, by <laughs> yeah. when we're talking about cost of execution, we're talking about the change in so the average price that you get filled at versus the price that you see on screen as kind of the best bid or offer. Um, and so a market may look super, super tight. But if you want to say execute even just 10 BTC, sometimes the average price is a massive difference from what you actually see on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, and so well, well, when we talk about um, best execution, we're talking about um, being able to execute um, you know, anywhere between 2 to 150 BTC on a consistent basis with low slippage, which as I've defined is, a, um, is the, the movement from the average um, to the, the best bid offer. How, is, how do you manage your uh, OTC business? Do people come to you directly for that? So we don't, we don't run an OTC desk. Um, everything is on everything is on screen, but obviously, um, we we can do you know on the platform um, OTC size. Um, where we do service the OTC market, we're not an OTC provider. But we provide infrastructure for the OTC space. Is our I assessment see. infrastructure, and so what our assessment infrastructure will do is one, it handles the regulatory pieces, so money transmission. Um, it manages the complexity of moving fiat money as well as cryptocurrencies. Um, and also does a lot of things around, for example, capital efficiency through 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 a concept called called netting across counterparties. So um, we service the OTC space. We are a service provider for OTC providers, um, and we're going to be announcing a, a couple that are going to be using or that are using our assessment infrastructure in the next few months. Um, so that, so that's to look forward to. Uh, but we are not ourselves a kind of principal. Um, OTC um, group. So we don't put our own capital up and trade directly against counterparties. They can either come into our exchange and trade against an aggregate of counterparties, or we can service the infrastructure for their OTC business. How are you guys uh, making money today? Yeah, so we charge in a very similar way um, to um, exchanges. We charge um, basis points. Um, so it's um, on our platform right now, it's free to make. Um, and eight basis points to take. Um, we don't make money from trading against clients um, and, and these are other pieces that a lot of platforms do. So it's a very simple, um, very simple fee. And there's nothing else that is hidden, nothing else that is charged. That is the only way that we make money. What about the scenario that you mentioned with uh, an OTC provider comes in? Um, do you yeah. make money in that engagement or yeah. how does so that work? What we do there is we charge a assessment fee, um, and we don't disclose those fees. Okay, and then you have multiple coins. Um, you're talking about bringing in multiple different fiat uh, pairs per. Are you worried about spreading out the liquidity that you do have amongst all of those? How are you? Mm -hmm. What's your plan to build liquidity? The reason I ask is because um, your customers may be more knowledgeable and about how to how to handle. Uh, an environment where you know they have to take time to enter a position or whatever. What seems to rule the day in the retail environment is go to the place that lists a lot of stuff, has 
gigantic books that are highly liquid with low slippage and things like that. And that's we seem seem to be seeing that at at Binance, at uh, mm-hmm. at Bitmex, and places where you know even retail traders come in and they try to get into a position with a relatively small amount, like if they're getting large slippage or the books look super thin or there's a super high spread or whatever they get, uh, they get frustrated with the exchange as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. so how are, do y'all have a plan for building and managing, uh, yeah. liquidity? So, yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's obviously working closely with, with partners. It's obviously the ability to bring in new partners, for example, um, bringing in groups that are very large um, in 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 Europe books that exist, for example, in Bitstamp, uh, bringing in clients that are very large on, um, say, Japanese uh, exchanges, Japanese yen. So it's bringing in a, a diverse range of global market makers. Um, but there's also interesting things that will help market makers um, make markets um, in a more uh, or in a significant way. So, for example, you can lean on what market makers call leaning on. Um, you can lean on books. So, for example, if you have BTC USD, and then you have Japanese yen um, BTC, um, you can use the exchange rate essentially to um, to, to, to price um, the other book. So, if mm. you're a big USD BTC market maker, as long as you have an exchange rate for the Japanese yen book, you can quote, and then you can then hedge out on the BTC book. And then that also creates interest and opportunities where, where there may be some inefficiencies and some ARBs and what people will call triangular ARBs because you have, for example, BTC at the top, and then at one corner you have USD, and then the other corner, Japanese yen. And sometimes those prices may not always be um, exactly um, exactly how they, in theory, should. And so that's considered an ARB. Um, and, and that's where market makers can have opportunity and can also lean on these books to, to quote bigger sizes, apart from just being a specialist in quoting in, those, in, in, the, in that fee pair. Yeah, it sounds familiar to something like I uh, feel like Bitflyer may have been doing because they have a really robust uh, JPY pair, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I don't know how they how they make markets, but certainly it's a it's a common tool used um, is to lead, for market makers to lean on other fiat books. And so one of the ideas that what you're expressing is, let's say, uh, Bitstamp and Kraken have uh, pretty pretty you know pretty good BTC euro. Mm-hmm. books so if ccx has a euro pair it's advantageous for that market maker to add an additional exchange so you can try to recruit the same market makers that are on other exchanges to just broaden the number of exchanges that they're working with to to manage their what they're doing yeah i mean some some market makers certainly make markets in in that way they're simply you know pricing off of different books um directly in the same fiat pair but potentially you can also lean on other fiat pairs as well. It is kind of what I was referring to with the triangle spread. But yeah, I mean, these books exist, market makers exist in these markets and, you know, they are um, onboarded or in the process of onboarding. And, you know, we've been able to get very good liquidity in our USD book and we'll do the same in Euro, Japanese Yen and GBP. Let's finish on something that you brought up in another interview that I was really interested in. And you talked about um, how you think Things like precious metals are going to end up on, um, I guess, crypto-based exchange platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you envision that working? Or is that a product y'all are working actively to try to launch? Um, how do you how do you envision it? 
how can I yeah. trade gold? How can I trade gold by depositing Bitcoin on on your platform? Yeah, so I suppose um, you know what, what I'm saying there is that we're, we're fundamentally as a company very bullish on tokenization, um, and that is why as a company we are regulated both in the commodity space and we are also um, getting regulated in the security space because that was what we find exciting about tokenization is that it's potentially as it's potentially revolutionary for all potential assets, which is pretty exciting. Um, so tokenized gold is just one example of where I think there's been a lot of interest. Um, there's a lot of companies trying to tokenize gold. And one of the values of our system infrastructure is that it's distributed. And so the value of tokenization is to some degree the power of the blockchain. So our belief is that you should build a settlement infrastructure that actually leverages the power of the blockchain. So we built four potential to great tokenization, whether it be gold or silver or some other commodity, and then potentially, you know, over time in securities as well. Um, I think there's certain use cases, but you know, gold has a lot, makes a lot of sense. Um, other precious metals make a lot of sense. So, um, for example, certain precious metals used um, in the iPhone, um, customers care where that metals come from, because sometimes that metal comes from mines where um, children are used. Um, you know, being able to track from the source all the way up to where it's finally used matters. There's actually a value there. Um, and so I think precious metals, because of where they're typically mined, it makes a lot of sense to tokenize because it uses one of the powers of the blockchain, which is this kind of um, ledger and um, proof of ownership um, all the way through the life cycle. Uh, are your customers, are they interested in, uh, I guess, the broader landscape of altcoins or has the interest primarily been in the large caps that y'all provide? Are you bullish on tokenizing the world with all these silly utility tokens from ICOs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's an argument about what is considered a utility and what's considered a security. Um, yeah. I think fundamentally, it's an exchange. Our, our role, and this is one of the reasons why we don't trade against customers, why we don't actually allow employees to, to trade cryptocurrencies, is to remain completely impartial. And so our goal is to not say this is going to win, this is going to lose. Um, the market is here to decide that. Our, our role is to simplify a, a platform whereby it's, it's traded safely and in a fashion where people are not um, being manipulated and, and losing money because of that reason. So, um, look, I think there's going to be a lot of change. There's going to be a lot of churn um, in, 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 the, in the assets that exist. Um, but fundamentally, we're bullish on the asset class as a whole. And so we will list tokens and assets that one are in compliance with our regulatory um, uh, entities that we have, um, but also um, taking a very non-emotional and kind of non-incentivized approach um, for listing those assets. Are your employees allowed to have a buy and hold over time plan or is it just a, a, a no ownership whatsoever ban? No, no, no. So you can definitely own cryptocurrencies. Um, it's more akin to a- you just can't uh, active trade. You just can't actively trade and so if you want to buy or sell whilst you're at seed um then you have to go through a committee whereby um inside information is assessed um and so it's there to ensure that um there is not a conflict of interest uh, amongst employees okay so someone can go to this committee and say look i want to buy a thousand dollars worth a month for the next year and y'all say so okay the way, that, the way that the committee technically works is that you get a authority um to execute um within two days of being driven authority it's not necessarily a, a, a rolling piece um but yes i mean that's that's that committee is run by a compliance officer 
um, and the rules are clear. Um, and look, ultimately, um, the people I work with understand it. Um, our goal yeah. is to build the value of the exchange, which is in a, inherently a very diversified bet on the entire um, crypto market. Yeah, and I get I get that completely. But I do like if someone's got you know a little uh, skin in the game, in, in addition to being in the business model of I don't know yeah. understanding I mean, and holding I mean, the underlying. Most answer. people who work here are passionate. You know, everyone here is passionate about the space. Yeah, uh, and look. Um, you know, people have different holdings, um, but it's just ensuring that that doesn't impact the way that they, that they run um, and work at, at Seed. So let's, my final question. Um, let's say I got somebody listening to this. They're an accredited investor. They would be a qualified candidate to uh, trade on your platform. What's your high-level pitch for like a mostly retail but active trader? to come and trade on CTX instead of say uh, Kraken that offers margin or uh, you know any of the uh, more more uh, cowboy platforms like BitMEX or Deribit or places like that. Yeah, so hopefully listening to this podcast and talking about the different areas um, ha have been helpful. I mean, you describe these groups as cowboy um, groups. <laughs> reality is, is look, um, if you want to trade on a reliable, safe platform where you have a high level of support, very strong technology, the ability to control what you do, good auditing, um, good reports so that at the end of the year, it's not a complete um, mess to actually um, understand what you have and haven't done, um, ensuring that you're in compliance, um, you know, very strong cost of it, you know, very, very good cost of execution. Um, the ability to get in and out, the ability to talk to someone on the phone, the ability to get somebody reply to your emails, the ability to get money in and out um, within hours, um, not days. Um, these are kind of some of the differences between us and others. Awesome. Well, we'll let that uh, that be that. You're at ctx.com. Do you have a personal Twitter or anything like that that you want people to follow? Uh, I don't have a, a personal Twitter, um, but uh, you can definitely follow um, CTX, which is just at CTX. Sounds good. We'll link that up. Edward, thanks for joining me. I appreciate you uh, sharing about what I think will be a more common avenue for people to trade over the years to come. So I appreciate you sharing that and, uh, and joining us. Yep, thanks for the time. Cheers.